0: and we are rolling hello everybody and welcome to a fairly queer podcast with sam and jeremy today we're going to be talking about music jeremy how are you today
1: yes this is very exciting sam i am well thank you and i'm really looking forward to letting music be the um gateway into a magical world of talking about um queerness and and performance and magic and various other topics as we move along and get deeper inside of artfulness so thanks sam
0: yeah so um what are some uh you actually had mentioned in our previous episode some artists that you are currently enjoying um but we were just listening to some uh, pop music today weren't we
1: we were and we were talking about this strange relationship where um popular music is at a tug of war between it having some very um, fine uh, social functions and also some, you know, concerns uh, among like what, what the messages and the images are and how we kind of have a healthy relationship with that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that everyone has sort of this tug of war with music, especially with popular music. We actually had a really interesting conversation recently, you and I, um, about people sort of, I don't know, I guess what might one might consider like highbrow music versus lowbrow music and how you had sort of suggested that you per- prefer some more I don't know what you would call
1: it. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, Sam, you don't have to put anything in my mouth. I mean, I can just put it. Right, you, I can just set it right me out. Uh huh.
0: So why don't um, we just get into it? Okay. Okay.
1: If you if you put this dualism in front of me and it's like, oh, is it high brow? Oh, is it low brows? Like, can we just stop the dualism with these brows? Because, again, the uniqueness of our experience can be the filter by which we find something to be profound and that's usually what people don't know better and they don't understand what could be many layered or esoteric or profound philosophical highly spiritual or metaphysical people associate all those things with highbrow but those things don't have to the same way that lowbrow doesn't have to just be swill trash and and mindless sheeple psycho you know psycho, uh, uh, psychological programming, psycho, psycho, psychological <clears throat> programming, me. Sam, you get one of those per podcast, right, as I'm trying to explain something as important as being very aware of how we interact with um, music, because the only way to not is to shut yourself up in silence, and m- most of us don't want that unless we need to sleep or meditate or whatever, so that's what I think. I think there's just finding constellations of, like, sounds and moods and topics in the in the poetry and the lyrics of music that speak to us.
0: So I have a query for you then. A query? I have a query. This is a fairly queer podcast, so I have a query. Um, what are some artists that you would find notable um, that you were into or, like, really defined— you in some different age groups. I'm going to throw out three. So, preteen, uh-huh. Uh, like early adulthood, so like leave in high school, like 20s. Uh 20s, yeah. Early, Call it long specifically 20s. early 20s. And then now. What were defining music, musical artists, musical songs, musical whatever? in those time frames because, and this was sort of part of our conversation earlier, tastes change, but they also change in relationship to what sort of speaks and resonates to us within a certain time and how those, uh, those songs or those lyrics are packaged in a way that we can digest them. So anyway, there's the question.
1: Okay. Sam, th- uh, Sam, thank you for that question. So if we talk about like, 16 and before, most of my musical biography and experience was in um, uh, Christian music because I came from like a sort of evangelical, post-evangelical background. So like in the 80s and 90s, there were famous um, people in Christian music like Sandy Patty and Twila Paris and those praise and worship monthly tapes that my mom would get I know, it kind of was a music emergency, but to be fair... There was an
0: ambulance that just went by, by the way, so it was pretty perfect. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so it wasn't a musical emergency because, uh, frankly, in a lot of contemporary Christian music, they are such well-crafted, beautiful, emotional songs, and so that was a foundation, both listening and as I started to wonder what the music I would create sounded like. Um, So, and then came uh, the 90s, and my dad allowing us to listen to non-Christian music on the radio. First song I ever heard that blew my mind after officially listening to non-Christian music, officially. You know, because there's roller skate stuff and parties and going to other friends' houses where you would hear things. But um, it was um, Ace of Base, The Sign, and then it was Madonna, the radio play Madonna of the 90s. Do you have
0: a favorite Madonna song?
1: I loved Take a Bow, and I loved I'll Remember. So from that, like, Bedtime Stories That's some era, Madonna
0: deep cuts right there.
1: Oh, God. I I love the Madonna deep cuts. But I've tended to like the not-so-popular songs of uh, radio, pop radio artists. I tend to like their B-sides. I really loved Sarah McLachlan, getting closer through high school. Um, I just really loved all the the Lilith Fair girls. I loved Tom Petty's Last Dance with Mary Jane. I loved the Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann soundtrack. So throughout the 90s, like, I was a pretty, I was kind of a rocker chick. I was a rocker chick. I was a proto-gender variant, like, witchy rocker chick. Um, And then came college. Then I just went wild. Like, that was the Napster era. So, like, I was just downloading psychedelic rock from the 60s and 70s and disco because I wanted to see how far my queer, um, popular music um, tastes would go. And disco was one of the truly first um, LGBT multicultural genres that was pretty freely shared, pretty freely, not completely not all kumbaya, fairly, fairly freely um, uh, shared amongst uh, minority communities. So that was when I was getting through my 20s. And once, honestly, like once I got around 2006, when I got to grad school, um, I have always been listening to classical music. I started out with Mozart and Beethoven and Bach. But then I started getting into like the subgenres of like Baroque music and opera and Baroque opera and then folk music and then alternative country music and, and then recently I've just like fallen newly in love with Dolly Parton. So like these ebbs and flows, there are certain things that I can see as through lines through my musical preferences. But I have always like felt it to be at least smart. As someone who loves music and cultural history and culture through music to make sure I kind of know enough of what's Happened as you can see like popular music kind of takes a die for me once I get in grad school So maybe that's a good transition because we are talking about like pop music, you know
0: Yeah, so I guess so now that we are in sorry, Jimmy Jeremy's pointing at something right now. <laughs> so. I know, because
1: you asked me you asked me a three-part question and I didn't really get yeah, into Yeah, exactly well that's exactly what, what I was that's to. what I was gonna ask next is what yeah. are you listening to now, Jeremy? Uh. How
0: has those three lines connected into a beautiful flowering uh, lily of pop and alternative and all sorts of other shit?
1: Well I am listening to a lot of uh, the trio, which is Dolly Parton, Linda Ronstadt, and Emmylou Harris. I love uh, Patty Griffin right now. I uh, I dabble in Brandy Carlisle. Um, but I also like because of my work in the queer nightlife and uh, global drag scene. I try to be at least like fairly aware of like what's turning turning the folks in the, club, in the club in the club yeah we call it the club the hashtag club. Uh, yes so I I dabble in um, Miley Cyrus and Kim Petrus and um, I have been known to enjoy in a group setting the vocal stylings of Ariana Grande
0: I do love me some Ariana Grande thank you next
1: uh, yes Um, But other than that, I've listened to a lot, a lot, a lot of Mozart opera, a lot of good old-fashioned 1780s, early 1790s music because it helps me balance and equalize myself. And I listen to a lot of Handel, a whole lot of Handel, a whole lot of Mozart, and um, I love Monteverdi and Henry Purcell as well. So if those are unfamiliar to you, Google it, and then if you ask us in the comments to talk more about these more obscure things, then I can happily do that, because that was my expertise in graduate school. It was so much fun, truly. So there you go, Sam. That's what I'm listening to right now.
0: Awesome. Um, Yeah, pop music is fun. Um, I definitely have listened to a lot of pop music in my life. One of the things that we were actually discussing yesterday, not on the pod, but just in the not pod the, the the real world in life is sort of you know I think one of the nice special things about pop music is that it you know it's not particularly deep sometimes which I think and I mean we had some disagreements about this which I'd love you to chime in on but sometimes you just need that release you just need to you know be queen for a day and be able to dance and forget about your troubles and you know that's that's a nice thing about pop music because most of the songs when you really break them down are just about getting fucked. So, you know, who doesn't like dancing around and listening to a song about getting fucked, right?
1: Oh my gosh, Sam. Well, I found that instead of starting from some random murky place in the past, if if we have a tele if we can use our telescopic ears and go time traveling at least to our grandparent's age and move back and forth. Yeah. Popular music has to do with connection and getting fucked. Connection, and Sam. And getting forked. Uh, how about sporked? Can we get spooned and forked?
0: If you want.
1: Okay. So listen, Sam. We we have songs about romance, which is not always, but can preclude the magical the the magical act of love making. Um, there's also, um, a lot of it's about relationships and those things are really important. So first of all, I want to, um, reframe popular music as just being about popular topics, relationships, having fun. There's a lot of songs about having fun. And then once the club became the club, right after the seventies, really, it's really after disco where we see people, um, in various communities with songs explicitly about having fun. Girls just want to have fun. Take me to funky town. I just want to head out with my gals and, you know, do those sorts of things. And unfortunately, um, women get a bad rap. Like a
0: virgin.
1: Yes. Thank you. Okay. But women get a bad rap because popular music has, has, um, uh, Created a sort of unfair fusion, or not fusion, but fission. Right? Nuclear fission is when you pull something apart, and then you have pop, you have pop saints, and you have pop tarts. Right? You have sinners, and you have saints when female so pop music. Who's a,
0: who's a who's an example of like a pop saint, and who's an example of a pop tart?
1: Mm, for oh, you, Sam, for you're you, are putting I'm, You're putting me on the I wanna, spot.
0: I want to clarify that. If either of us like or dislike a certain artist, it has nothing to do with the quality of their music or oh, it could. Sam. Well, I mean it could. But it is mostly personal preference. If you like these people, then that's great. You know, We don't all have to like the same thing.
1: Well, take, for example, Madonna's holiday, you know, just wanna have just wanting to have a good time and then take a bow about a relationship that ends so bittersweetly.
0: That's also a Rihanna song.
1: Oh, man, that's when I tell you that pop music took a dive after the late odds. We can talk about that. I only know Uh, Rihanna from the times I've heard her. I do not play her of my own accord.
0: I like Rihanna.
1: I'm so glad you do, Sam. But if this was a show about you telling me about everything you'd like, well... (laughs)
0: It would be a very different show, let me tell you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm being hard on you. Let's put it this way.
0: Let's put it this way. We don't have to throw anyone under the bus. No. But I would be interested in knowing who do you think... Because, okay, so here's the reality, listeners, (gasps) is... Oh, my God. So um, here's the
1: thing. That's Sam's Sam's catchphrase. So here's the
0: thing. Um, So welcome to our podcast, here's the thing. What's the thing today, Jeremy? No, I'm just joking. Maybe some other time. Anyway, um, so, okay... Madonna said it best, you know, certain artists can be reductive, you know? There's a lot of reductive oh, pop music these days. A lot of, you know, people sample and people take inspiration. and uh, you know, the reality is that everything is a reinvention of something in the past. So who do you think is really pushing the boundaries right now?
1: who? Oh man. Like do uh, I think Bjork has always pushed boundaries. um I I don't think you're going to hear a whole lot of boundary-pushing artists on your pop iHeartRadio. That's not the point of things that people can just turn on and not engage in. Do I like? Do I like? Oh, this is acceptable. Oh, this is entertainment. Oh, this is safe, secure, comfortable pop music. So, Sam, when we're talking about pop music that maybe um, lends itself to... Um, I think, unhealthy collective factionalism or is um, pandering to teenage hormonal angst. I, as an adult, think it's gross and I think it undercuts um, the ability of adolescents and young people to think for themselves when certain people are pandering with such songs as, oh, look what you made me do. Fuck her. <laughs> Fuck that. There's no responsibility being taken and people are writing lyrics about not taking responsibility for their own actions, which to me is where a lot of a lot of the problems personally, interpersonally and collectively come from.
0: Jeremy, out. we are never ever 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 getting back together now that you just said that.
1: Well, Sam, can you see by my face how I care? <laughs> I'm just making a point, Sam, which means we can agree to disagree about, about like, what stuff we think is fun and or worth listening to. Usually, my my brain and my heart have to be equally tickled. If I'm not being tickled that much, then Kim Petras can have a gorgeous voice. Ariana Grande can have a gorgeous voice. Um... Uh, miley cyrus can be the spitting image of a young dolly pardon and have a gorgeous contralto voice but if i don't if i'm not really into the subject of what they're talking about then they're just i don't want to make decent singing artists out to be caricatures and so instead of listening to them and judging them i don't listen to them and wait for the right opportunity when i'm open to it
0: so is there any artists that, like, you feel like you have grown with? Because, like, I'll give you an example for me. Like, I'm a really big fan of Marina and the Diamonds. I always have been. I guess she's just a Marina now. She dropped the Diamonds. But um, so it's interesting when you find an artist and you listen to their music and they have, you know, a rolling catalog where they're coming out with new, fresh music. And it sort of follows you into adulthood where the topics that they... Um, explore through their own music are evolving you know maybe what they were discussing in their um, yeah their first album is different than what they're discussing in their sophomore album but you still continue to connect to it as you grow in your own life is there any artist that you feel that way and what do you feel how do you feel about evolution of an artist to follow with you know the process of learning more and more because if you write the same album over and over and over again then what kind of artist are you you're not exploring new topics you're not growing you know Oh, right. Are you just
1: pandering to a baseline, middle of the road, middle of the bell curve audience, Sam? Well, to answer your question and follow in the um, course that your first question about those different sections of my life, when I remember different music having very powerful effects and staying with me or being just very meaningful in the different um, chapters um, I would say in high school, um, it was Jewel. It was Jewel. I adore Jewel. I love you, Jewel. That that poetry, the simplicity and the rawness of how wonderful and how varied her voice was. Because the truth is, I admire really painstakingly precise singers. Like, I admire opera singers like Kathleen Battle. I admire um, singers like Mariah Carey and Ariana Grande they're so precise in the studio even Kim I've been told is a really like you give Kim Petras just her guitarist and her and she's got she's got the pipes but um there's also something a little sterile and a little cold when you're too perfect um technically as a singer so Jewel was that Joni Mitchell reincarnation. And I don't mean that in a in a literal way. I mean that Joni Mitchell taught singer-songwriters, they can have w- moods, and they can have good and bad vocal days, right? Studio culture has taught us that we have have to sound perfect all the time. That's bullshit. And uh, singers like, of course, Joni Mitchell... And Jewel and other singers, we can all think of one, it's like, oh, their voice is not always consistent, but they really get the emotion across. So Jewel's one for me, and I will ad- even admit, around 2010 to 2012, I was in the middle of grad school and living with my good friend Justin, who folks will know from uh, RuPaul's Drag Races, Alaska. When we were roommates, there was a lot of Fleetwood Mac and a lot of Gaga going on. And so I think in a certain way, Amethyst Journey can call upon those two as really um, important uh, inspirations. I always just, I'm just, I'm going to the backlog of Dolly Parton right now. And two people as um, musicians that have been really important to me are Kate Bush, who, of course, like, it was mostly from the late 70s to early 90s. And Tori, who I never really understood, Tori Amos, was someone who had been very helpful as a piano-based musician to see what kind of studio sorcery can be done. So it's a lot, and I love that it's a variety.
0: So uh, on that note, we are going to take a short rest We're Gonna take a little breaky break, grab some refreshments, and we will be back with you. Well, I mean, it'll be immediately for you because we're editing this. But for us, it's going to be like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Sam, for ruining that Disney magic. But hey, we'll see you in a little bit, everyone. I keep it real. We're going to keep it real, real tonight.
0: And we're back. Yeah. Thank you for that wonderful musical interlude, Jeremy. Sure. Every episode comes with a free musical interlude for your listening pleasure from Jeremy Mckesh, also known as Handsome Jeremy.
1: Thanks, Sam.
0: Jeremy, I'm such a huge fan of your work. Oh my goodness. Thank you. I... I am such a big fan. Oh, my God. Can I have your autograph?
1: Sam, we got to do that after the podcast, all right? Would you sign my butt cheek? I mean, just as long as you're not going to get a tattoo of it. I might. I'll consider it. Oh, shit.
0: Jeremy, we met because I saw you... Coming out of a
1: bathhouse? Can I say yeah. that? Yeah, of can course I say you that? can. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of wonderful... Uh, a, spa, a spa. A spa in the middle of nature. A
0: spa in the middle of nature. And I looked at him and I said, How? Oh, I know that person. He is Jeremy. He did Amethyst Journey with Alaska. I'm going to go and talk to them. And I did. We've been friends ever since.
1: I know it's magical when you could find a friend who will not only not fangirl, but also appreciate your work as a creative person. Mm-hmm.
0: And so yeah, I'm a really big fan of your album. Really good album, 10 out of 10. And my favorite song is So Far Gone, as you know. Do. It's such a good song. I cry every time.
1: Oh, that's what it's for. It's so there, was good. We were, there was a lot of crying when we were there's a lot of crying while we were making it. I can't say for anyone else but myself that every time I heard it like there's so many feelings in here. It's gonna be so good.
0: So I would be interested in knowing a little bit more of your creative process, some of your inspirations for the songs on your album. What was it like working with your collaborator Alaska Thunderfork? <laughs> Thundersporks, uh, Thunderspear. um, and yeah, like just talk about a little bit of your album. I'm sure I'm sure our listeners too would be interested in knowing a little bit of those. Deep dives into the creative process of making an album.
1: Ooh, okay, Sam. So, the official the official bits and bobs are that um, my dearest, longest friend Justin and I went to Sonoma County uh, in the late winter in March of 2017. And we wrote a number of songs that would become both Amethyst Journey and our fri- friend Nick came along. And some of those songs became Vagina. So um, I got the first... I, I, I basically like got the first first week, the first 4 days and then Nick came after the first 4 days.
0: Can I just get a clarification real quick by the way? Do you mean some of the songs became vagina, the song vagina or the album vagina? The album. Oh, okay.
1: Yes. Um so when Justin and I were up in Casadero, um we were just assembling like so what's this what's this path? What's this journey we want folks to go on because it's different and a lot of it is me a lot of it is like i believe in people expanding their consciousness i believe in people finding a path that's magical and unique and um so from my um experiments with uh my friend chad michaels uh c-e-e-m seem who produced my EP Somewhere in Between, which is basically an experiment and kind of just a showcase of various um, kinds of music that I like to make. Um, I created Truth in the Light, which is completely my song. And also, uh, at the end of the day, I was involved with It Is What It Is. And I made the I made the music. And of course, like, it Is What It Is was very All Stars 2-ish, but at the end of the day, it was the sort of dovetail. And I wanted to make a beautiful sort of um, neoclassical uh, acapella piece out of it. So those two songs came directly from me and my uh, my back catalog or my personal musical song catalog but aliens was something where we're just like we want something that just feels good and and also has like a opening um, argument that what would happen if if something radically if sentience you know if aliens extraterrestrials galactic beings came uh, came to earth and Aliens was meant to be a sort of like throwback to to music from the hippies, but also to ABBA and also to Jewel. Aliens is meant to be a philosophical, metaphysical introduction in the guise of a kind of 70s pop folk song. Um, End of the World is my... Uh, love letter to Mozart, whose requiem can be heard sewn inside uh, the, the courts, and to, like, Kansas and Arena Rock from the late 70s, which, if you know Justin, he's, he needs a master's in musicology because he is so knowledgeable about music from the past 60 years he can just pick up on any song in some oldies radio. And I just wanted to pay homage to how much music the, fo- the, the person you know publicly is Alaska. She is a master of pop music. So um, End of the World was very much an arena rock uh, love letter. And then, of course, we have So Far Gone, which is like my trios. I really want to have... A version of so far gone that is three people you know um when i was touring the cabaret show it's
0: not gonna be me <laughs> just let you know i'm a really bad singer
1: <laughs> yes yeah, sam now that we all know that uh, i'll make sure that you keep your you you keep your um so-called singing of singing skills to a minimum. <laughs> You can see, folks, where this is going. No place good. But So Far Gone, which is me and Sam's favorite on the album, is very much that sort of folk, uh, rootsy. Um, it's, a, it's a ballad about loss, about not being uh, present with those you love and how we uh, find a bridge to know that we're not alone. Now, I'm going out of uh, album order, but I I'm just trying to pick up on, like, that the album order is kind of um, important, but it doesn't have to be. Like, speaking of pop music, which had a very important message, there's, I was thinking a touch of Sgt. Pepper, and of course people can get their buttholes in an uproar about whether, uh, don't compare them, just know that the concept album is a wonderful way to tell a story. And Joni Mitchell did it and um, the Beatles did it. There are lots of wonderful concept albums out there from the age of uh, vinyl record recordings. Sam, you sound it sounds like you want to make a comment.
0: Well, I do actually. So you had mentioned before that um, you had you know some influence on vagina, right?
1: A bit. There's like, there's a bit of like... Uh, well, because
0: I, I listened to it and I, The Land of the Midnight Sun felt a little bit like <sighs> it was had a little bit of you and it did it? Or did it have nothing to do with you?
1: Well, the truth is it didn't. But bringing those sorts of melodies and harmonies out in Amethyst, I mean, if you think of pound cake and you think of high, not high but high And the song lot, too. Like Alaska has the most beautiful, sentimental, Abba esque like dancing queen, beautiful melodies, beautiful harmonies, musician inside of her. Now if now this is my editorial, but if only her fan base would elevate her and show us their elevation, which they have in the Amethyst tour, that we can all grow up musically. We are all allowed to grow up musically. It is our right as creative people.
0: So were there, any, since you, this was a collaboration effort. Um, were there any particular songs that, like, you really pushed for, or she really pushed for? Like, how did that collaboration? Um, come about how did you decide hey i really want to you know create this particular sound project and um how did the process of actually writing and producing this album together work
1: yeah well the way that justin and i go is that we just like we have a glass of wine or perhaps we have a, a little medicated um, pain Some relief. herbal
0: refreshments. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yes. and then that that is our little that's our fairy gateway into allowing ourselves to just play music we love or experiment with just uh, jamming at uh, her house. And like ever since we were roommates in uh, 2008, 2009, 2007 really like we listen to music and we respond to it so a response is a magical combination of inspiration influence you know all those all those weird rolling stone interview things like influence is something so that you know what it'll sound like inspiration is like i feel like i'm a part of a musical tradition so um if we go into truth in the light um i love 80s kind of Melancholic dance music. So Truth in the Light is that kind of depeche Modi Pet Shop Boys kind of eighties. Very queer. Yes. And so like and that story that I wrote about like about Justin and I having to not be roommates anymore. Um, Which
0: song is that?
1: Truth in oh, the Oh, of course, of course. From my own catalogue and Justin knew that it spoke to him. So that's how that song got on Amethyst. Um, there's some uh, I know I don't want to like. Oh, Ascension, Ascension. It was a very curious thing because, like, to me, that's like me being a kind of psychic, oracular, downloading witch. I just like you give me a little, a little bit of something to uh, make me feel free, and I will just. I will let the cosmic waters flow from my mouth hole. (laughs) And Ascension was really that. Ascension was like a download. It was like this, like, it was a cosmic download. It was all my favorite metaphysical topics.
0: It's interesting that you describe it that way too, because Ascension has sort of this euphoric kind of, I don't know how to describe it, like acidity quality to it, if I might say so myself.
1: Oh, it's trippy as hell. It's trippy
0: as hell, but <laughs> trippy AF. It also has T-A-F. that sort of cyber aspect to it as well, which makes it sort of very unique and different than I don't know uh, other songs that might. Right, affect.
1: it's it's meant to be like um like an apotheosis, like an awakening or an asc- it's called ascension because it's like. Oh my God, all these things are flipping true. I don't know what to do about I'm it. I'm trippin' balls here. <laughs> I'm having an extra conscious, super conscious experience. And of course, like we're giggling about it over here, but it's a real thing, no matter whether you've just meditated a lot or maybe you've been to some very transpersonal substance interactions. It's not about how... It's not about how it happens. Is that some of us think really big. Some of us live in a big, amazing quantum universe. And Ascension is my heart song for that. And Ascension has that really dreamy kind of like you can just kind of bounce to it. So Ascension is a lovely, lovely um, unicorn critter. She's a cyber unicorn. Sure. I also want to take a moment to recognize besides for Midnight Sun, which I think is one of the most beautiful songs that the Alaska creature and creation has come up with, um, that what I call the invocation of the wind and son of a mother was an interesting synthesis. I give, I give Justin most of the credit for those two. Like, he came up with the wind. He came up with that beautiful invocation for the wind. And son of a mother, those are all of his messages. Those are all of his lyrics. I helped tweak some things, but I just like when it comes to certain songs, even if it was very collaborative, like you get a real, I believe you can get a real sense into my bestie, Justin's heart and the the magic and the witchcraftiness of Alaska in son of a mother. So I just wanted to like take the time to like really put my like my side of things out there because uh it's been beautiful and touching and we've still got more amethyst live performances and if it's something that's meaningful I just I'm behind any grassroots um grass, grassroots organization to make amethyst and make and be involved with projects in the queer community and around the community that have to do with elevating us all.
0: And uh, keep an eye out for um, his sophomore album, Quartz Adventure.
1: Oh, my gosh. What is that, Sam? I don't even know what that is. You just sprung that on me now.
0: (laughs) I've been holding that one in all day.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm glad you were only holding in that and not some other things. So, Sam, I guess this just brings us back to like how fierce and loyal so many queer and queerly audiences are. I use queerly as sort of queer queer, adjacent.
0: Clearly queer. Fairly, fairy, fair fairies. Great.
1: I love that for you, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) But no, but like queer audiences are... Super faithful, they will hang with Cher and Judy Garland and Mariah.
0: They're also taste makers.
1: We are. Some can also be pretty tasteless. I mean, ugh. I mean, have you ever been to a Peter Allen concert? No, <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. Dude. Don't mind me. That's just a, that's just a bad a oh, bad, bad. takeaway of a Golden Girls joke. But you know, Cher and Madonna and um who are the i mean we can go back in time gaga wouldn't be anything without her queer following
0: you'd be nothing without us
1: Cher needed those homos after believe you know ariana grande she's got a gay brother after so that
0: donut fiasco we were the only thing that could save her <gasps> what she liked that donut
1: oh yeah don't well, go licking donuts Leave don't it go, go do- licking donut holes <laughs> <laughs> please stick to the eclairs and the fried bread you're used to i mean i love
0: a glazed donut me too. i love when someone glazes my donut
1: oh sam now we're just see what i mean by lowbrow i, told I you, have all to be. music
0: all pop music is about sex
1: I'm trying to be elevated and highbrow here. And what are you doing? What are you doing, Sam? Oh, no. I just want to make a sort of um, final epilogial. Right? an epilogue. Epilogial. <laughs> it might be a new word, but if, uh, a final know, yeah. a, a f- a final wrap-up topic that queer audiences have really been an electrifying source of support for artists for it, performers, singers, songwriters, who we know have such an important and uh, um, broad and positive message. And sometimes the prophet and prophetesses of messages of love and compassion and truth, they go through some rough shit. Case in point, Judy Garland. Judy Garland was known for having a very... Um, lgbt etc audience that's the 40s basically the 40s up to her death yeah 50 years ago she
0: was a very you know complicated and damaged person which i think is some it's a through line am i using that term correctly
1: i think so sam
0: um for lgbt people to connect to you know These artists, you know, I find a lot of artists that have real identifications of their own personal struggles throughout their life connect to LGBTQ audiences because, you know, in some case, in some way, we've all had our own struggles. So we identify with these artists that have their struggles as well. I think that Judy Garland's a great representation of that and why she's so beloved.
1: Yeah. I was so privileged to work with the... What privilege? (laughs) What privilege? Well, I was honored to spend much of my uh, musicology grad school career with the eminent um, first-generation queer musicology uh, researchers um, such as uh, Mitchell Morris and Susan McCleary, and I got to meet others. Um, such as Suzanne Cusick and, um, well, there are others which I would love to name, but my brain is going on me. Um, And they are a wonderful community, and I was able to teach a LGBTQ, et cetera, um, studies or LGBTQ perspectives in popular music. I was able to teach it in the summer, during summer terms. And this is what we really did. We were like, queer audiences are important. Queer performers are important. A queer perspective on music that was not created by explicitly queer performers or made for explicitly queer audiences, but we took it on because the message resonated with us. And this goes back to this underlying golden thread for us, Sam that being queer is unique, it is not to be homogenized, it is not to be overly packaged and taped up and categorized. We defy these things, but we also create these things, you know. So let us be super supportive of our queer local, regional, and international performers. People like Ollie Alexander, people like Kim Petras, People like uh, Beth Ditto, you know, and so many, many more. There are historical queer folks like Freddie Mercury and, um, oh my gosh, she's Irish and she's saying, you don't have to say you love me, Dusty Springfield. Mm. Like there are many generations of queer musical and performance elders that, whose music we can listen to and we can connect our experiences and our love to.
0: And also, just as an aside, and we can expand on this uh, topic in a future podcast, because it definitely requires, you know, a significant amount of time, and we're coming to the end of today's episode, but just know where your like your money and attention is going in terms of queer artists that you are supporting, because the reality of our society that we live in today is that being queer, being gay, being an LGBT uh, human uh, person in this world... Um, it, it, we, it's getting traction, and people are looking to market and make money off of you. So just make sure that you're putting your money, your time, and your attention towards people that are really allies and really queer artists, rather than people that are just trying to cash in and throwing out some, you know, uh, I don't know, just, you know, some mimetic queer dialogue or something just to try to grab that type of audience
1: right know where your family and your friends are know who they are and um live empowered lovingly truly and uh with courage and with open hearts and open ears which is the whole point point and, of... and occasionally open holes oh sam well this has been a A Fairly Queer Podcast, episode two. We're
0: clearly queer.
1: And we're queerly clear. We're two
0: fairies discussing fairly, topics that we give a shit about. Yes. And we hope you do too.
1: Yes, you'll find some magical unicorn rainbow wisdom, or just some shenanigans, mostly in Sam's case.
0: Jeremy, do you want to drop some of your social media handles, like (gasps) a hot brick? Oh,
1: pavement. I'd like to, I'd I more like to drop it like my booty when I'm, when it's 2am it like and it's I'm, at, and the DJ is real good and it's going digger, 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 digger.
0: Drop it like you just pulled a pan out of the oven and you forgot to wear oven mitts.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. So, wonderful, lovely doves and unicorns. You can find me at my favorite depot, <laughs> depot of social media, Instagram at Handsome Jeremy 777. I do spout off, like many Twitterers do, at Orphic Apollo 777. And I got some Facebook stuff, The Handsome Jeremy Apollo's Arts and Muses, for my various facets of magical lovemaking on the public sphere.
0: And don't forget to buy Amethyst Journey on iTunes.
1: And... It is also available for Spotify for you people who would like to take a test drive before you invest in queer creative artists.
0: And you can find me if you want to. You really don't have to. And you maybe shouldn't. <laughs> but if you want to find me, you can find me at my Instagram page, Nuke Moth. That's Nuke like nuclear warfare and Moth like Mothra. Nuke Moth at Instagram.
1: Thanks, Sam. Well, we're going to head out into another beautiful Kentucky sunset. We're going to head out into another dimension. Dimension behind this
0: dimension. I fucked it up so bad. I'm
1: sorry. Oh, no, it's okay, Sam. We're going to keep that on a record so everyone can know how you sing. Until uh, Until next time, ascend with us astrally to interdimensional love and compassion. Until then... I'm Jeremy.
0: And I'm Sam. And
1: you have been listening to A Fairly Queer Podcast. Happy times, happy week and weekend, whenever you listen to our fine podcasts. We'll see you next time, okay? Goodbye. Bye.